Well, listeners, uh, again, welcome to this morning's show. Uh, this morning, you are listening to Table Talk with myself, your host, Mark Penrith. And this is an opportunity for us to cover biblical questions and answers live on air. And so we cover your questions as you raise them. We then turn to God's word, investigate what God's word says about issues that you have raised. Uh, I do want to send a shout out to a number of people uh, who are online and have said hi, including uh, Pamela, uh, who says good morning, as well as Penny Strait, which says good morning, Mark and team. Great to see you again this week. It's good to have you with us, Penny, a long time listener. Uh, also had uh, greetings from Amanda this morning. Uh, and from others who are listening in Thank you so much for dropping your comments And for engaging with us It's always encouraging to know who is listening in To Radio Pulpit on a Friday morning As we cover the questions and answers live on air So if you have a question Now would be the time to ask it And you can do that in a whole host of ways You can comment on Facebook uh, You can uh, send voice notes in via WhatsApp and Telegram The telephone number is 082-657-2729 But what I'd love is to actually speak to you live on air. And the studio number uh, is standing by to take your calls. You can engage with Maxwell, uh, who will pass you live into the booth. Uh, The telephone numbers I'm about to give to you. Get your pen and paper ready. You'll want to write these down. 012-334-1322 or 012-333-8699. Uh, Looking forward to hearing your voice as we engage around God's Word. This week, I had the opportunity to read a series. uh, Well, it's an article which I converted into a series of questions that I'd like to engage with you on, listener, um, related to water baptism. Uh, The article that I read uh, certainly was against water baptism and advocated for what I'm going to call dry baptism. Um, In other words, a complete discount of water baptism that every reference in God's word after John the Baptist uh, is a reference to a dry baptism, a a baptism apart from any water. And I want to engage with some of the questions that the article raised or posed. I hope that I get the majority and the main heads of argument and that we get to um, to talk around baptism in general and water baptism in particular. One of the first questions that the article raised is a question around John the Baptist. Uh, John the Baptist. When you think of John the Baptist, you know, I think of this prophet in the wilderness dressed in, uh, in camel skin and a leather belt around his waist, eating only locusts and wild honey. What a strange diet. Um, I, I think of this, this man who certainly was set against the religious system of his time, calling the nation of Israel to repent of their sins and put their faith and their trust in Jesus Christ as their Lord and their Savior. One of the first questions that the article raises uh, uh, around John the Baptist is is this question. Uh, was he ever baptized himself? In other words, uh, did John go through the same water baptism uh, that the people that he baptized went through and that Jesus Christ himself went through? And the, 
The answer to that is, well, we simply don't know. The text doesn't tell us. Uh, the Bible text doesn't tell us a lot of things about um, about some of the narrative stories. Like, for example, um, when we think of the person of Jesus Christ, we have uh, accounts of his birth. We have accounts of his ministry, the three years of ministry. And then we have a lot of account of his final week of life, what we might call the Passion Week. Um, but in truth, the in-between years, um, after his birth, after about the age of two and the the great slaughter of children in Nazareth all the way up to him entering ministry at about the age of 30 we have very little account in terms of what happened in those years uh, we do know that when he was around 12 uh, he went to Jerusalem with his family for the great festival uh, and we have an account of him teaching or asking uh, asking questions uh, and engaging uh, with uh, the religious leaders uh, in the temple but other than that we really Really don't know what happened um, in Jesus' life in the in-between years. And so we don't know everything uh, that happened about Jesus. And we certainly don't know everything that happened about uh, John the Baptist. Uh, we don't know if he was baptized or if he wasn't baptized. We don't know if the only people he baptized uh, were, were people that he baptized. Um, but, but what we do know is what his baptism represented. John the, Baptist, John the Baptist's baptism ultimately represented uh, a baptism of repentance. I'm going to pull up my Bible and in my Bible I'm going to go to the uh, Gospel of Matthew and in Matthew chapter 3 I'm going to read some of the, the, the account of John the Baptist. It's available to us in verse 1 through to verse 12. Uh, verse 1 starts off by saying in those days John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea. Repent for the kingdom of, ha of heaven is at hand. And so we understand that the the kernel of his message to the world was a message of repentance. Um, and we also know that he is the one that was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah, for that's spoken about in verse 3 of Matthew chapter 3. He's the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord and make his path straight. Uh, John the Baptist was the precursor to Jesus Christ, the the herald that announced that the Messiah, the Christ, was on his way. In verse 4, we have a description of what he wore and what he ate, and he certainly was a strange man. And then uh, we have this, this understanding from verse 5 that Jerusalem and all Judea and all the region about the Jordan were going out to him. And so we understand that John's ministry wasn't to Gentiles. Um, Christ came first to the to the house of Israel and John himself um, his ministry wasn't to Gentiles his ministry primarily was to Jews um, and he was baptized uh, they were baptized by him in the river Jordan and that they were confessing their sins this is so important uh, John was baptizing the word baptizing um, the word baptism is a transliteration what that means is rather than a translation of a Greek word, uh, a transliteration means that you take the Greek word and you make it sound like the Greek in English. And so the Greek word is baptizo. Uh, John was baptizoing people <laughs> in the River Jordan. Uh, we say he was baptizing. That, that sounds better on the English tongue. Uh, people in the Jordan. Uh, the word baptism is if not transliterated, if translated, really means immersing. He was immersing people in the River Jordan. The, the word baptism uh, literally means to immerse. It's to uh, completely emerge a body into water. 
uh, John, it, the the account goes on to say, saw many Pharisees and Sadducees uh, coming to his baptism. It turns out they were standing on the side just watching what he was doing, uh, and he calls them brood of vipers, um, telling them, "Who warned you to flee from the wrath to come?" And, and then he encourages them to bear fruit in keeping with repentance. And so, if I had to describe what John's baptism represented, it was a baptism which was an outward symbol of something which had happened internally in the hearts of believers. Um, it happened internally in the hearts of believers that they were repenting. And by believers, I'm talking about believing Jews, Jews who, true to their faith, recognized that they were sinful, recognized that they were in need of a Savior. Of course, the Savior was about to be revealed. The Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world was about to be revealed to the nation of Israel in the person of Jesus Christ. But the truth is, as we as we read the text, uh, the, these these Jews were, were were believing that they needed to confess their sins, that they needed to repent, turn away from their sins, and that they needed salvation. They needed God to make them clean. And the act of baptism was a physical um, symbol of that repentance. Of course, the baptism couldn't save them. Um, faith in the promise that was to come, the promised Messiah that was promised in the Old Testament, right from Genesis chapter 3, uh, as God said that there would come a seed who would literally crush the serpent's uh, head. And later in chapter 12, uh, a seed promised to Abraham by which all nations would be blessed. And, and later as we read through God's word, we constantly hear of this Messiah that was to come. It was them that these believing Jews were to put their faith and trust in. But baptism really served as an external symbol of that faith and trust. Now, listeners, I'm hoping that your curiosity is piqued as we begin this discussion of baptism. But as it turns out, um, we are going to need to cross live uh, this morning uh, to an MEC uh, for education who is talking about the matric results. And this has been broadcast on a number of radio stations, including Radio Pulpit. And so we're going to cross over to that event right now. Please stand by and I look forward to speaking to you later. Well, friends, you're back with Table Talk with myself, Mark Penrith. We are discussing your biblical questions and answers. We did cross over live to hear the Honorable Premier, Miss Rafilwe uh, Mitsweni uh, Tepane, who delivered the announcement of the 2021 Grade 12 National Senior Certificate Examination results. Um, but now I am looking forward to re-engaging with you on the topic of water baptism. We were kind of in the middle of talking about John the Baptist, right? Um, and we were talking about what his baptism represented and in particular we said that his was a baptism which represented symbolized the repentance and the confession of the Israelites the Jews that were coming down to the Jordan to be baptized by him uh, even as I was speaking and as people were engaging uh, this morning uh, I, I did see a very uh, excellent comment by Penny uh, who said that while Christians might relate to baptism as a sign of the covenant and purity before God uh, these still don't bridge the gap to John the Baptist's baptism of repentance uh, and she makes the point that 
uh, John's baptism was unique and it wasn't the same as Christian baptism. Uh, and the reason why it's important to note that uh, is because John wasn't baptizing folk that were part of the church. He wasn't baptizing in response to the command of Jesus Christ to baptize or to immerse. Uh, John was was baptizing as part of the uh, 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 as part of the culture that he was in. Now baptism didn't start with John. Um, the Jews had been baptizing, immersing proselytes, uh, those who had come to the Jewish faith, for for many many years before John came onto the scene. Uh, what would happen is, as a Gentile uh, came to faith, uh, came to faith in in Yahweh, uh, came to the monotheistic religion of uh, of the Israelite nation of the Jews. Um, as they they came to faith, one of the ways that they would demonstrate that they were casting their lot in uh, with the Jewish faith is that they would go through the waters of baptism. It was to symbolize their repentance. When John came on the scene, uh, he was saying, "Listen, yeah, it's not just Gentiles that need." to confess their sins it's not gentiles that that need to repent turn from their sins and put their faith and their trust in the messiah that is to come but in actual fact jews need to do this too and so john's baptism was particularly aimed at the nation of israel and it was startling uh, it's telling that the religious elite of his day refused to go through the waters of baptism because in reality, they refused to repent. They refused uh, to acknowledge the fact that they were sinners in need of a savior, rather rested, uh, resting on their genetic connection with Abraham, whom they called their father. As I, as I think of baptism and as I was reading this article, the next question that is, is raised uh, is the statement of Jesus in John chapter 3 verse 11 I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance but he that cometh after me is mightier than I whose shoes I am not worthy to bear he shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire and the question is this is the baptism that Jesus Christ speaking about um, in terms of all the baptism which was given to the church, a dry baptism. Um, because Jesus said in John chapter 3 verse 11 that he would baptize with the Holy Ghost. And that really comes down to what the word baptism means. The word baptism doesn't have the technical meaning in Greek that it has in English. In English, when we say baptism, everyone pretty much knows what we are talking about. We are either talking about baptism of the Holy Spirit or baptism by, by water baptism, but, but it has a, a technical meaning that is related uh, to the religion in which it is found, uh, and in particular the, the English domain in which it is used. But in the Greek, the word baptizo uh, is a common word. It's not a religious word, and it means immerse. Uh, Jesus, at one stage, uh, might talk of the immersion of John, and he's talking of water. He might, at another stage, talk of the immersion uh, of the Holy Spirit, and yeah, he is talking about salvation. This is a, a dry immersion rather than a wet immersion. And then at still another stage, he might be talking about a wet immersion when he says, go into all the world, make disciples, baptizing, immersing them into the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Um, what we need to do is that each time that the word baptism is used, we need to discern, is this wet or is this dry in terms of a translation of the word baptism into the English equivalent immersion. 
uh, it is important to discern that. And as Christ in John chapter 3 verse 11 is talking about baptizing with the Holy Ghost, uh, obviously uh, a reference uh, coming out of the King James Bible as he is speaking in John chapter 3 to uh, Nicodemus, the Pharisee that came to him at night. And as he's talking about salvation and he's talking about being born again, that man must be born again. One of the things that Jesus does say is that uh, we need to... um, uh, we need to uh, be baptized and we need to be baptized by the Holy Spirit. Um, verse 11, in actual fact, as I, I'm looking at that, I'm, I'm fairly certain that the reference, the, the scripture reference uh, is incorrect. Uh, uh, let me just find the text. Uh, it says in verse uh, from verse 5 Jesus answered truly truly I say to you unless one is born of water and the spirit he cannot enter the kingdom of God which is uh, born of the flesh is flesh that is born of the spirit is spirit and don't marvel that I say to you you must be born again the wind blows where it wishes you hear it sound but do not where it, know where it comes from or where it goes so it is with everyone who is born of the spirit um, as we uh, I'm going to find the reference to that uh, uh, shortly, um, but but emphasis does need to be placed uh, on the word baptism, on its English equivalent in terms of translation um, uh, of uh, of immersion uh, and of the use of that particular word in different places. I'm turning back to Matthew and I'm looking at Matthew chapter eleven, uh, chapter three, verse eleven, and that's actually where the, the the text comes from. I think there was a I think there was a typo in the in the notes of the the article I was reading. Matthew uh, chapter three, verse eleven says, "I baptize you with water for repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I'm not worthy to carry. He will baptize or immerse you with the Holy Spirit and fire." And that clearly is talking of salvation. That clearly uh, is talking of uh, of a baptism, an immersion of the Holy Spirit, uh, a once-off event which happens at the point of salvation. The next question which is raised in the article that I read is, if Jesus' command in Matthew 28 verse 18 pertains to water baptism, uh, and, and quite a lot of emphasis is put in terms of the relationship of various different words in Matthew chapter 28. In Matthew chapter 28, we have the Great Commission, right? The, this is the, the mission of the church in the world. This is what we as the church are to do. Uh, we read of the scene of, of Jesus appearing to his disciples in Galilee, and in particular on a mountain in Galilee. Uh, this would most probably be the most likely setting for 1 Corinthians chapter 15 where the Apostle Paul says that Jesus appeared to up to 500 people at one time. It says in Matthew chapter 28 verse 16 that the 11 disciples went to Galilee to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them and when they saw him they worshipped him but some doubted. They worshipped him because Jesus is the Son of God. He's God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten and not made of one being with the Father, three persons in one trinity. And so they rightly worshipped Jesus Christ. And Jesus comes to them and says all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me now based on his authority he's going to give them instructions this is what i want you to do in the world and the this is what jesus wants us to do he wants us to go therefore and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the father and of the son and of the holy spirit teaching them to observe all that i have commanded you and behold i am with you always 
to the end of the age. And the question here is, is the use of the word baptism in Matthew chapter 28 and in verse 19 in particular uh, a dry baptism or a wet baptism? And the answer um, in terms of the context, as as we're reading the context, um, the, the, the answer isn't maybe necessarily um, absolutely clear um, before us. We do have this idea of baptizing them or immersing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And I think it would be right to draw a distinction in terms of the use of language from Matthew chapter 3, where the baptism is related particularly to the Holy Spirit, baptized, uh, a baptism in the Holy Spirit or with the Holy Ghost. Yeah, we have in the name, uh, the name being synonymous with the authority, with the power uh, of the person. Uh, we are to be baptized in the authority, in the power of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And so even in Christ's language, his use of language in chapter 3 and his use of language in chapter 28 uh, seems to be different, which might key us in to, to that this might not be exactly the same as the dry baptism that we read about in Matthew chapter 3. The way, however, that we can really figure out what Jesus was definitely saying in Matthew chapter 28 is by looking at the continuation of the narrative account uh, in scripture. In Acts chapter 2 we have now Luke recording the the next phase uh, of what happens after Jesus Christ ascends into heaven. Uh, Luke records for us how the apostles themselves interpreted uh, Jesus' language and it says in Acts chapter 2 that it's the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit descends like tongues of fire, divides, rests on each of the people that are in an upper room. They could possibly be as many as 120 of them there uh, in prayer. They come out, they declare the great and glorious uh, works of the Lord in languages known to men. It creates quite a stir in Jerusalem. People convene. Peter stands up amongst them and he begins to declare the gospel message. And really, if we had to summarize it, it relates very closely to the words which were given to him uh, by Jesus Christ in Luke 24 that Jesus died. In actual fact, Peter says, you killed the Messiah. And that Jesus rose. And, and Peter goes on to say that Jesus rose and a into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father and is going to come again. <laughs> and the bottom line is the people in Jerusalem are cut to the heart. They, 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 they cry out, what then should we do to be saved? And Peter's answer uh, is this. Uh, in verse 37 we read that when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and to the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, repent. And be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Uh, very interestingly, in the language, uh, the the use of the word repent and the use of the word baptized, uh, they're, both, they're both verbs, they, they, they're both active uh, uh, verbs, they, they, they're things that need to happen. Um, but they are in different voices, indicating, indicating two different activities. Repenting is what saves us. We're not saved by water baptism. Uh, 
baptism plays no part in our salvation. Uh, we are saved when we put our faith and our trust in Jesus Christ as our Lord and our Savior. We're saved by faith alone. Um, but Peter goes on to tell the people in Jerusalem, in accordance with what Jesus Christ said on that mountain in Galilee, that they are to be immersed. And they are to be immersed, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Well, what happened? In verse 41, uh, we have a picture of the establishment, the creation, the, the, the start of the early church. And it happens like this. So those who received his word, so those who believed, were baptized. And they were added that day about 3,000 souls. And so we see a pattern here, a pattern of belief, a pattern of baptism, and a pattern of adding, adding to the local church. And we know it's the local church because that's what's described for us uh, in, in great detail from verse 42 all the way through to verse 47, how the early church in Jerusalem operated. And so the command in Matthew chapter 28 verse 18 certainly pertained to water baptism in that that's the way that it was interpreted uh, by the apostles in Acts chapter 2. Uh, this idea of, of baptism um, and water baptism in particular is further demonstrated later in the book of Acts. Obviously in the book of Acts we have a number uh, of people and households who place their faith and trust in Jesus Christ as their Lord and their Savior and upon belief were baptized, uh, baptized by full immersion uh, upon belief and would have been added to the church. Um, but one person in particular really seals the deal in terms of our understanding that this was water baptism. And, and it's the story of the Ethiopian eunuch, the Ethiopian eunuch. Without any doubt, he, he, he dispels any idea that all the baptisms in the book of Acts and in Matthew chapter 28 were dry baptisms without any kind of qualification. In the book of Acts, uh, as we go and we take a look at it, um, and then in particular in Acts uh, chapter 8, uh, we have the story of Philip, who's an evangelist. And uh, uh, Philip the evangelist is uh, is full of the Holy Spirit, and uh, God is truly using him. Uh, he starts uh, down a road, um, down the the road toward Gaza, and uh, while he's heading there, he overhears a eunuch um, reading out of the scroll of Isaiah. And the passage of scripture that he was reading, according to Acts chapter eight verse thirty-two, um, went like this: like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter. And like a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For he has taken his life away from the earth. And um, as we, as we uh, consider this, we, we're going to consider the, the, the narrative of the Ethiopian eunuch. I've been informed by the studio that we're to cross over again uh, to listen to the premiere uh, discuss uh, the results uh, and so after we've listened to the premiere we will cross back uh, and continue the discussion fluid show this morning guys uh, turns out we're not crossing over now we're going to cross over closer to half past and so we have between now and half past to bring this discussion to an end and so let me just discuss the Ethiopian eunuch and Philip 
the Ethiopian eunuch um, hears this this discussion from Isaiah. He says this. Uh, Philip overhears him. Comes next to uh, comes next to him. Uh, asks him if he understands what is being read. Um, the Ethiopian eunuch says, "No. Um, you know, how, how could I understand uh, about whom I ask you? Does the prophet say this about himself or someone else?" And Philip begins to open his mouth and beginning with this scripture he told him the good news about Jesus Christ because that's what we need to be saved we need to know that Jesus died for sin we need to know that Jesus rose from the grave we need to hear the call that we are to repent for the forgiveness of sins Uh, upon putting our faith and trust in Jesus Christ we are saved but at some stage Philip must have spoken to the eunuch about baptism and more particular about water baptism because we read in verse 36 that as they were going along the road they came to some water and the eunuch said see here is water what prevents me from being baptized from being immersed and yeah by the way we we get a a very clear indication that baptism by immersion um, is truly immersion we're not talking sprinkling and um, because what we read in verse 38 is this that he commanded the chariot to stop and they both went down into they went down into the water Philip and the eunuch and he baptized him he immersed him <laughs> and when they came up out of the water the spirit of the Lord carried Philip away and the eunuch saw him no more the point that I'm trying to make is that in Matthew chapter 28 verse 18 uh, we have a command of Jesus Christ to his church to baptize, to immerse by water. And not only that, we then see in the book of Acts chapter 2 and following and then in particularly in chapter 8 a, a very vivid description of baptism and this baptism is by immersion in water. Uh, as I read through the article I was going through I I came across another question which is raised um, and that is um, related to uh, covenants and signs and and, and really the question was raised is um, is a sign in terms of a covenant or a symbol of water baptism necessary like do we even need it? Why, why do we need signs? The verse that is quoted uh, was when Jesus said uh, in the gospel that a wicked and adulterous generation seeketh after a sign, and there shall be no sign given unto it, but the sign of the prophet Jonas, and he left them and departed. And that's in Matthew chapter 16, verse 4. Well, for a start, Matthew chapter 16, verse 4, to quote that and say that uh, that covenants don't need sign is 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 an abuse of scripture it's certainly isogetical the truth is that uh, the signs uh, as they are given in scripture to and attached to a number of covenants are are signs which God gives his people in order to have a external visible demonstration of something which has happened internally Uh, many of the covenants uh, have signs uh, connected with them if you think of uh, the uh, Uh, Noahic covenant for example the covenant with Noah Uh, well there's a sign it's a rainbow it's a sign which God himself gives people that we might know that God will never um, uh, judge his people in this way again folk I've been given uh, notice that we're about to cross over again uh, to the premier speech and so stand by as we listen to the premier talk about um, the metric results Rafilwa Metswena uh, Tapane, uh, who was delivering the announcement of the 2021 
National Senior Certificate Examination Results, uh, and then also uh, some interviews with uh, with learners and excited people regarding those results. Obviously, it has been a morning which has been rather topsy-turvy as we have crossed over a number of times to where the results were being announced. I guess that is a reality of live radio, and this is live radio. I have been trying this morning to work through uh, some questions that have been raised regarding water baptism that came from uh, came to me uh, from folk that had read an article uh, and I would like to continue just to talk uh, about some of these questions and answers I, I will compile them into a concise format uh, and podcast the results out during the course of today uh, do look at the page Mark Penrith or Pastor Mark Penrith um, and I will send the note out there and uh, I will ask the station to send it out on Radio Pulpit as well as soon as it has been podcast I do want to go through a couple more questions before we reach the hour uh, this morning uh, of 11 o'clock in order to deal uh, with the questions that have been raised we might have to pass some of these over to next week Uh, we were talking just before the break um, regarding uh, baptism as a sign and 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 really a a mistaken idea that that there is no sign that God doesn't give signs and that we mustn't follow signs based on a faulty interpretation of Matthew chapter 16 verse 4 where Jesus is speaking to the Pharisees and at the time there's much contention between him and the Pharisees Jesus is doing miracles and what they're really demanding from him is another miracle show us another miracle which will prove to us beyond a shadow of a doubt that you are the Christ the Messiah and Jesus is saying no you are demanding you're demanding signs and wonders rather than demanding me. Uh, you need to love me. You need to put your faith and your trust in me. Uh, that's what's going on in that portion of the narrative uh, in the book of Matthew. It's certainly not talking about signs of covenants. Covenants come with signs. We see that all over the Old Testament and the New Testament. For example, before the break, I spoke about the sign related to the Noahic covenant, the rainbow in the sky, a sign that God's wrath, when it was revealed through the waters of baptism, will not play out in the same way um, ever again. Uh, we do know at the end of the age, uh, the wrath of God will certainly be revealed from heaven, but it will come in a different form, not a worldwide flood. The Abrahamic covenant had its own sign. Uh, we talk about the sign of circumcision of the firstborn males and those who came into the nation of Israel. The Mosaic covenant had a sign. The sign of the Mo- Mosaic covenant uh, is the Sabbath. Uh, the, the Sabbath became the, the sign of that covenant between God and his people. Uh, we speak about the signs of the new covenant being in particular two signs. The first sign being the Lord's table. We, 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 the Lord's table is a visible uh, demonstration of what Jesus Christ did in his death and a promise that he will come again. Um, and then the second sign of the new covenant being the sign of baptism. Signs are not uh, unbiblical. They are certainly biblical in their nature and there is plenty of of biblical uh, proof in order to demonstrate and show that. So what is the dem- what is the relationship an objection is raised uh, between water baptism and salvation? What is the relationship between water baptism and salvation and salvation? Let me say it's it's this. Um, salvation uh, at its root is by faith alone, by grace alone, it is in Christ alone, it is to the glory of God alone. 
uh, as is revealed by Scripture. Water baptism becomes a fruit, a fruit, an evidence of that salvation. So just like a good tree will produce good fruit and a bad tree will produce bad fruit, uh, the good fruit of salvation are, are good works which were performed, uh, prepared for us beforehand by God in eternity past. We read about that in Ephesians chapter 2 verse 10. Uh, baptism is, is a work. Um, it's not a work unto salvation. It is a it is a, a work of obedience. Uh, we do this in obedience to the command of Jesus Christ in Matthew chapter 28 verse 18 and following as well as the uh, examples which we see uh, in the book of Acts. Um, uh, we are not saved by water baptism. Uh, we are not saved by going through the waters of baptism. It merely is an out um, is a visible representation of something which has occurred internally to us. Uh, water baptism isn't a proof that we are saved. Um, it's not. It's not uh, undeniable proof of the salvation of a person. Um, but together with other works that we do in obedience to Jesus Christ, um, it can give us assurance of our salvation. It can be w one of the means of grace which God uses uh, to help us to to that that we would remember and that we would enjoy as part of our. Christian work. Whenever you start basing your redemption on baptism or any other work, be it speaking in tongues or anything else, you seriously should consider whether you are truly saved. That statement I would agree with wholeheartedly. The reason why I'd agree with it is this. Friends, we are not saved by our works, never mind how good they are. There's plenty of good people in this world that are not going to heaven but rather are going to hell. We are saved because Jesus Christ has done it all. He has paid the price and he has paid it in full. All glory and honor and praise will go to him. We put our faith and our trust in the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross. When he declared from the cross that it is finished, it truly was. The wrath of God had been completely appeased by his son. He had drunk the very last dregs uh, of the wrath of God on our behalf. We're saved by Jesus and by Jesus alone. And so if you place your faith and your trust in anything else other than Jesus Christ alone, you are on seriously shaky grounds, whether that be your baptism, whether that be monies that you give to the church or anywhere else, whether that be any good work. Church attendance can't save you and it can't contribute anything to your baptism. If you've been attending church and you're in your 20s uh, every single Sunday with your parents, I'm glad that they've exposed you to God's word for indeed we must bring up our children in the discipline and instruction of the Lord but friend you're not saved by church attendance you're not saved by any work you need to be saved by the blood of the lamb that was shed and so we put our faith and our trust in Jesus Christ as our Lord and our Savior um, the article which I read raises another objection and it's related to Matthew chapter 28 in Matthew chapter 28 and and I think let me read it again so that we can say the Bible says in Matthew chapter 28 we read the following uh, all authority Jesus Christ says to those who are gathered and are listening to him has been given to me in heaven and on earth therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. The author of this article 
draws or or makes a, a, a wide contrast between making disciples or instructing or teaching in different translations uh, and baptizing and says that these two should be coupled together in a very tight relationship so that uh, the teaching or the making of disciples uh, and the baptizing is one unit they go together he makes the point that the baptizing is a present participle and the making disciples is something else although I don't think he d- defines the something else let me tell you in the language how Matthew chapter 28 hangs together there are actually three uh, three participles and one main verb in that sentence so four verbs in total the participles are this go the participles are baptize and the participles are teach and we are to as a main verb make disciples that's the great commission of the church we are to make disciples of all nations and the question then in our mind should be well how do we go about making disciples and we get these participles those are ing words they're they're things that we're to do and we're to constantly do like running jumping laughing we are to be a people that is going a people that is baptizing and a people that is teaching these things together, um, all together, uh, come together in, uh, in, in harmony as we make disciples of all nations. And so it's incorrect to say that the making disciples is tightly related uh, to baptizing in that it is one event. It just simply isn't. Baptizing together with going and together with, uh, with uh, uh, teaching and become how we go about the making disciple process. So I am being um, uh, informed uh, that the speech will be on the best accounting achiever and that we will cross over live again. And so um, uh, uh, please stand by for more from the Premier. What a wonderful achievement to hear uh, that folk got 300 out of 300 for mathematics. I, <laughs> I just think of my own maths results and I wish <laughs> my, my maths teacher um, wasn't so excited <laughs> with, my, with my final maths results. But what a delight to hear that, uh, that folk all across our land uh, did so well at maths and other subjects. Um, obviously today, uh, lots of excitement around the, um, around the announcement of the various different uh, achievements that learners have done and uh, some of that has been celebrated on the station during the show I, I do want to wrap up with this uh, final discussion around uh, baptism just try and land the plane as best we can with uh, with what we've got and maybe we'll address some of the objections next week we were talking about this relationship between three participles and a main verb uh, the main verb being making disciples and the participles being going being being baptizing and being teaching uh, and uh, the author of the article that I read drew a very tight relationship between baptizing and making disciples and a relationship that really the language just can't support um, and the reason why I can't support this that is this if if baptizing was a single event that happened at the point of salvation together with making disciples um, which in actual fact doesn't make any sense then in reality the going and the teaching would have to happen at the same time as well except Jesus says this he says teaching them to obey all that I've commanded you all that I've commanded you friends it will take the rest of our Christian life (laughs) as we study God's word 
daily and as we engage with one another and as we exhort and encourage and move one another uh, towards an understanding of scriptures to even grasp at the basic level all that Jesus instructed. This doesn't happen at the point of salvation. And so neither is it necessary nor is it likely that the word baptizing as a present participle should be tied as closely uh, to the making of disciples or to the instructing of those uh, towards spiritual maturity. As we've been talking about water baptism, I, I hope that as we've engaged with various different passages throughout Scripture, it's been helpful. I, I do realize that the conversation has been staggered throughout the show. Uh, what I will do is uh, during the course of the morning still, I will compile um, uh, the show into one single unit um, and uh, and cut out all the various different bits and pieces in between uh, in order for it to be listened to as one single unit. And so I do want to point you as a listener um, to our uh, to our podcast the podcast uh, will be uh, as a a link uh, I'll try and post it during the course of today I'll, I'll ask the station to post it during the course of today it certainly will be posted to my own Facebook profile which is Pastor Mark Penrith or Mark Penrith uh, on Facebook uh, it will be posted there uh, with one conversation the whole way through and no interruptions uh, in between and I'd encourage you to listen to it I also would encourage you to comment on it I'm looking forward to your comments and certainly uh, will engage in them next week as we come back for a Q&A uh, and a discussion uh, around God's Word and the Bible, listening to what the Bible says, that God might be glorified in our lives and that we might learn together um, and that we might be encouraged towards maturity of understanding of God's Word, that He might be exalted and glorified in our lives in every way. This morning uh, we have been discussing water baptism and uh, our, our prayers do go out to all the elders and the deacons who hold lines in local churches as well as to missionaries that are sent from local churches in South Africa serving in foreign fields all around the world. Be praying for the missionaries that your church supports that God might be glorified in and through them as they boldly proclaim the gospel on foreign shores. At the same time each week our prayers do uh, go out and much respect goes to uh, all the first responders in our land and the kinds of people that I think about are police and defense force and all those who dispense justice in our country. I think of firefighters, paramedics, our nation's nurses as well as medical personnel and correctional uh, service officers. Uh, we pray for you regularly and trust that the Lord would bless you as you go about your duties with delight as unto the Lord. You have been listening to Table Talk with me, your host, Mark. Uh, we are going to go to a song now, and after that you will hear the news. And so until next week, Friday, walk wisely, live holy, and testify zealously. God bless. <laughs>